Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, April 27th, 2015. will be announcing the winner of the 2015 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest today. And I got to tell you, it was really close. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually analyze what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and self-styled prophets and prophetesses are saying in the name of God to see if they're teaching sound biblical doctrine, what Christians have believed taught and confessed from the beginning, or if what they're teaching is something new, innovative, bizarre, a twisting of God's word, stuff that isn't sound doctrine that ends up taking our eyes off of Christ and what he has done for us and instead put our eyes on, well, ourselves. That's a a very bad thing to be doing. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Now, like I said, today we will be announcing the winner of the 2015 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And like I did say, this was really close. In fact, uh, the the difference between second place and first place, no joke, is less than one-tenth of one percent. I mean, we practically have a statistical dead heat, although technically it's not statistical dead heat if you take it out to enough zeros, but you kind of get the point. It was really a tight race between two people and uh i i i almost feel like this year i need to uh, let the person who came in second place know that they almost won i mean it's kind of yeah and it, it's not like they're going to be really excited about the fact that they won it's um <laughs> yeah no it's not going to be like that at all so We'll be announcing the winner shortly here. In fact, we'll, we're going to get to that like immediately. But I want to talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, apart from that major announcement. Uh, we're going to begin with a uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update with Patricia King. And... Um, yeah, apparently she's jumped on the donkey band- bandwagon. Um, <laughs> You know... 
Uh, I, I, maybe there's a donkey anointing out there. And if you don't have it, well, Patricia King is going to explain this to you. And, uh, wow, it's really bad. So <laughs> we'll do that. And then we'll do something we haven't done for a while. Prophecy Open Mic. We're going to head down to Glory of Zion out there in Texas and uh, listen to another installment of Prophecy Open Mic. And if you're not sure what this is, if you haven't heard this, well, Chuck Pierce claims to be one of the 12 restored apostles on the earth. And I thought that Prophecy Open Mic and Patricia King would be two just great things to uh, follow after listening to Phil Johnson's sermon, which still kind of sounds like a lecture to me, but, you know, maybe it's, you know, anyway... That's neither here nor there, but I mean, it was a fantastic sermon and uh, on whether or not the, you know, certain apostolic gifts have continued to this day. And so we'll be listening to Prophecy Open Mic. We got to, you know, we'll be listening to Patricia King and then we'll take a break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to have an extended Perry Stone update. Yeah, that's right. Extended Perry Stone update. And um, the name of the message we're going to be listening to from the Manifest program is is entitled... It's time to throw it off. Um, And uh, this is an example, if you would, kind of a subtle way of twisting God's word um, by taking something, you know, an element of the story, you know, allegorizing it, reading yourself into it. But there's a it's a little bit more than narcissism going on here. In fact, what we're what we'll be listening to is kind of, you know, one of these prevalent things that happens in evangelicalism. And that is is robbing Christ of his glory and what he has done and supposedly finding the one thing or one of the things that somebody did so that they can say that they were the impetus behind Christ's work. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, th- sin- sinful nature wants to take credit for uh, what God has done in our lives. And I think this is an example of it. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to church, uh, down to church by the glades. And listen to a sermon delivered by Corey Castle. I think it's entitled, uh, you got to throw it to sow it or something nonsensical like that. So, uh, And uh, that will round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And of course, since we have a major announcement here at Fighting for the Faith, whenever we make major announcements regarding winners and things like that, well, you know, that requires us to do this. That's right, folks, it's time to announce the winner of this year's 2015 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year Contest. And I gotta say, we had a record number of of amount of votes for this year's uh, contest. I was blown away by it. And the competition this year was incredibly stiff. In fact, like I've already said, the difference between first and second place is like one-tenth of one percentage point. I mean, we're talking just a couple of votes. I mean, that's how tight it was. Yeah, there we go. So let me, um, let me go ahead and ex- uh, we'll, we, we, will, uh, we won't say who uh, came in you know, uh, sixth, fifth, and fourth. We'll focus only in on the top three this year. And so no, no, no need for a drum roll. But uh, coming in third place this year, it was Jim Bird- Bergen, I guess. I, somebody emailed me and let me know that it's not Bergen, it's Bergen. Jim Bergen of Flatirons Church. 
out in uh, Lafayette, Colorado. He came in third. But despite the fact that he came in third, he was nowhere close to uh, our first and second place winners. Our second place winner, and literally coming in second place by a nose, was Ian Carroll of the uh, Greater Chicago Church and his blasphemous sermon entry that we uh, reviewed the last day of the contest here at Fighting for the Faith. But this year, the winner of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest and barely eking out a win is uh, Catherine Jefford Shorey. That's right. The uh, the head of the Episcopal Church USA and her yeasty <laughs> loaf of heretical leaven that was the, her Easter sermon. She came in first place. So there you go, folks. And uh, like I said, record number of people voting this year. I mean, the competition was stiff. And I feel like I need to go and I still feel like I need to bathe. You know, and, and there's multiple baptisms that have to take place after actually reviewing all of the different uh, sermons that were submitted for entry in this year's contest and then actually sitting through all of them and reviewing them all. Yeah, I still feel like I, I need multiple baptisms to cleanse my heart, my soul, just my being and get the ick off of me. But th- there you go. Catherine Jefford Shorey and her yeasty loaf have... <laughs> won this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. So there you go. Thank you all for participating. And uh, Lord willing, if we're still here next year, I get the feeling the church is not going to repent in mass. I will probably be around doing the same thing next year. So stay tuned for the, you know, the <laughs> next year's yeah, where um, <clears throat> somebody will win that nefarious title as, as the one, the one who preached the worst Easter sermon of the year. Okay. Let's move along. Time for a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in their row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life. Singing roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a ball, a ball. Roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. All right, that's uh, our uh, one of the tunes we use here. Although it's currently like my favorite in the mix, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, which I think is rather uh, descriptive of what it is that we're about to be listening to. The name of the video put out by Patricia King over at XP Media is simply entitled "Donkey." Mm-hmm. You know, I could think of an alternate name for this video, but I don't think that it would be received well, and then I'd have to change the rating on uh, on our podcast over at iTunes to something that, that doesn't quite fit general audiences, but you kind of get what I'm saying. So here's Patricia King to explain donkey. Yeah, here we go. Preparing this word for you, I kept getting the word donkey, donkey. Uh- <laughs> 
So she was preparing the word for us, and she kept getting this word. That means that God, the Holy Spirit, was speaking to her. You know, so there's God, the Holy Spirit, up in heaven going, you know, Patricia, I, I, I've got a message that I, I'd like you to, you know, get out to the masses. And if you could make one of your fancy videos and just let everybody know, I, here's the word that I have. And it, 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 it it's donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't heard uh, Phil Johnson's sermon yet, um, go back and listen to the episode just uh, immediately preceding this one and listen to hour number two. And uh, I think, in fact, now that I'm thinking about this, what Patricia King is saying here is an absolutely fantastic argument for cessationism. We continue. Monkey. And uh, so I want to share a little bit about the anointing of the donkey. Oh, man. Hang on a second here. You know, I just realized that I I have done you all a disservice. And uh, the the reason why I have done you a disservice is I didn't properly warn you. Yeah, about, you know, well, so let me go ahead and, you know, go back and do what I should have done here um, but prior to, you know, doing this uh, segment here. here Warning, we, here fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that nobody was hurt uh, because I didn't play the warning before. <laughs> Patricia King just let it fly that uh, that she believes that uh, God the Holy Spirit has given her a, you know, a word to give to everybody about the anointing of a donkey. In fact, I feel like I need to back this up a just a little about bit. Yeah, here, here we go again. Anointing of a donkey. Yeah. And you might find that maybe you are one. Yeah, um, generally that would be considered an insult. That's what God's called you to be, is a donkey, because it's actually a really powerful anointing, I think. Mm -hmm. And where is the donkey anointing mentioned in Scripture, pray tell? Very powerful calling to be a donkey for Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, the story we think of is when Jesus was coming into to Jerusalem and he told his disciples, go and untie a colt. Tell the master or the owner that, that, that your master has need of this colt or the donkey, the young donkey. So he went and got it. And Jesus actually rode in. And this is quite a small animal, but Jesus rode in on that donkey. And as he did, people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're putting down the palm branches. And Jesus was coming in as, you know, that's the way kings used to come in, in a procession. And, uh, the, you know, uh, if they were coming in on a horse, they would uh, come in as a sign of war. But coming in as a donkey, uh, or coming in on a donkey was a sign that the king was coming to, to reign. Yeah, and uh, you're reading a historical narrative there that is conveying to us the actual, um, well, events that took place on that particular day. 
And uh, for you to somehow say that, well, that means that we are then, you know, supposed to have some kind of a donkey anointing, well, that just sounds, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I guess I couldn't agree more, I think. We continue. And so it meant something to the people in those days. Yeah. But I thought about that donkey. Imagine what that donkey would have gone through earlier. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm having a difficult time imagining what donkeys go through because I'm a human being and they're donkeys. It was probably, you know, just out there in the dust and wondering what to do in his day and you know doing donkey things you know eating donkey food and you know making the kind of messes that donkeys make you know and maybe eating some straw and drinking some water and yeah. doing his thing just doing what donkeys do yeah right <laughs> all of a sudden he has a change of purpose and what i feel is that prophetically i feel like some of but prophetically you feel something about this donkey are in a place right now where where God has been speaking to you about taking on something new. But uh, so, you know, God's been speaking to Patricia King. God's looking for, you know... Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, I, I get the idea. Let's keep going. But you're wondering, well, how would I do that, you know? Yeah, wow, how, you know, I've just been yeah, doing... whoa, how can I do the donkey thing? I, I have no idea. ...for so long, and all of a sudden it seems like change is at your door. Well, change was at the door of that donkey's life that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, pay attention here, because what Patricia King is doing with this donkey uh, story is similar to what you're going to hear Perry Stone doing to the story of Blind Bartimaeus uh, in the second half of the first hour. Just keep that in mind. Jesus' disciples went and brought the donkey back to Jesus, and Jesus got on that donkey. Yes, he did. Jesus rode the donkey. And yeah, Indeed, that is what the text says. But you're saying that there's really a significant spiritual meaning behind the donkey that actually relates to us in some kind of a donkey anointing? And I'm sure the donkey, I mean, if you put yourself in the donkey's place, he's riding along, he's got this guy on his back, and he's riding along, and all of a sudden, all these palm branches get thrown down, everyone's cheering. I wonder if the donkey thought, oh, wow, I wonder if they're cheering for me. Yeah, do do donkeys have a proclivity to, you know, think that things are about them in that way? I mean, when they hear crowds clapping and applauding and shouting Hosanna. Are donkeys known for thinking, you know, hey, wow, I must be fantastic. I, I didn't know the donkeys thought that way. No, not understanding the greatness of who he was carrying. Yeah. God wants you to understand the greatness of who you are carrying. Mm-hmm. Like a donkey. You might be a donkey for Jesus. Painful, absolutely painful. Yes, you too. You might actually be a donkey <laughs> for Jesus. I mean, the fact that she would record that and that there are people out there, you know, listening to her and thinking, wow, that is such a deep word from the Lord. And, and you know, can you imagine somebody, you know, listening to this and, you know, maybe a husband's at work and he tuned into the Patricia King channel and watched this video and now he's gone home and said, honey... I I've, I I just heard the most amazing word from God the Holy Spirit. 
and and, and his wife says, "Really, what what is it? I, I, I now have the donkey anointing, and I'm a donkey for Jesus." Yeah. Oh man, this is so deep; it's unfathomable. Moving along. Time for a new apostolic reformation update. Jeez, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. All right, time to head over to Glory of Zion for Prophecy Open Mic Night. Now, this is basically, uh, they just pass the mic, and people are supposedly channeling God the Holy Spirit and uttering prophetic utterances. And uh, like I said earlier, I think this is another solid set of evidence against the continuation of these particular types of gifts. Uh, Here's uh, the folks from Glory of Zion and Prophecy Open Mic. Here we go. So God's sending a wind to blow open gates. And the Lord says, some of you have been taught to only do, to only open the gate this far. And the Lord is saying, go with your spirit, not what you've been taught. He said, the word of God in you is working something new. He says, so swing wide the gate when the spirit comes upon you, swing wide that gate. The Lord says, this is a time that we are moving. Yeah, swing wide the gate in a time of swinging wide. Yeah, so. Does this sound like anything God the Holy Spirit would say? I think Chuck Pierce is up there. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now notice what he said. Hear the word of the Lord. This this man is not claiming any of these words for himself. He's pinning all of these on God the Holy Spirit. Now we got some prophetic screaming going on from one of the worship leaders. Yeah, I got no interpretation on that one. What I saw was there's a bunch of us 
So God, the Holy Spirit's going to send a tsunami tidal wave thingy to push you into the destiny all the way. Okay. For I say to you, many have been standing in that gate because you know when you open that gate that is under your feet, you will lose total control over the circumstances around you. So when you open the gate under your feet, you'll lose total control of the circumstances around you. I think that's an argument for not opening that gate. And that's what I am intending for you to do. So let me remove the gate from under your feet, for you will go through this tunnel. This is a supernatural tunnel. It is not from the enemy. Do not be deceived. Do not be confused. I am the one sending you this tunnel. For when you go through this tunnel. So the gate below you, you open it up, it's going to lead into a tunnel. Got it. But beware, you don't want to be in the tunnel when the tidal wave comes through, because, you know, then you'll drown. You will land! You will show up in a brand new land! Uh Uh-huh. Now we got prophetic singing going on to reinforce some of the nonsensical words that apparently are coming from God the Holy Spirit. and blow those gates off the hinges. That's what God the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. I have no idea what it means. So run to your path of destiny and purpose. We've got somebody breaking a commandment here, actually a direct order from God regarding the practice of the uh, gift of tongues. And that is if anybody in a church service uh, wants to speak in a tongue, they cannot do so unless there's an interpreter. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. I think I've got an interpretation coming in. Yep, here it is. Um, This is, um, all of these messages are from the devil. You all are the devil's plaything. Oh, he's totally (laughs) bamboozled your brains. Okay. And you all are nothing but fools because you don't open up your Bible and read it. Yeah, that's a taunting right there from the devil. Oh, Chuck Pierce is now coming back. I'll start off, and then if anybody else has an addition. I say to you, you've been fighting for the ship, and you've been causing that ship to stay afloat. But it's me who sends the winds, and it's me who sends the waves. So I say to you, over these few days ahead, let me show you how I can bring afloat that which you've been fighting for. Bring afloat what you've been fighting for. So it'll be sitting out on the waters of the Spirit in some way? And in the midst of it, you will say, I have seen the Lord intervene in my trauma. I 
So God's going to fix the leak and get the water out of your boat. Wow, that's really handy of God. I say to you, this is a day if you will submit that I will control and I will gain authority in your life and you will rest. Uh-huh. Yeah, and what does any of this have to do with Christianity? Answer, absolutely nothing. Yeah, that, like, like I said, that's, I think, the Patricia King segment and what we just heard, Prophecy Open Mike over there at Glory of Zion, these are very, very strong arguments against uh, continuationist theology. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, an extended uh, Perry Stone update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Holidays Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, 
What you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, his owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. 
but there's no tether ball or rope. It's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Morning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your present favorite prophet person. Because they're really not a prophet. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith in Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a Harry Stone update. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sore loose, and I ain't got sense. God gave a goose, Lord. I ain't crazy. I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who. 
is the dumber? Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. All right, now what we're going to be listening to is an extended portion of a Manifest episode. Yeah, that's the name of Perry Stone's update. It's uh, not update, but program. It's entitled Manifest. And the name of this particular uh, episode is entitled It's Time to Throw It Off. And this is kind of an interesting form of narcissistic eisegesis. And the idea here is, is that this is a common thing where people like Perry Stone and evangelicals, they're always looking for the one thing that somebody did that somehow makes it so that you know, Jesus didn't do it all and that they get some of the glory. Yeah, I know that's kind of a weird way to think about it. But what you're going to hear is, is kind of what I would consider to be, uh, well... Uh, an example of that phenomena. So here's Perry Stone, and it's time to throw it off. Here we go. On the Manifest Telecast today, I'm coming to you from an area that we have never taped in the 12 years of the Manifest program. We are on the outskirts of the city of Jericho. Jericho is actually one of the oldest continuous cities on the planet. Some date this area of civilization back 6,000 to 7,000 years. As a matter of fact, not far from where I'm standing, about 10 miles, is what's called the city of Adam. And Jewish tradition states that when Adam was cast out of the Garden of Eden, that's the territory here in the Jordan Valley where he and his wife Eve eventually settled. Now, I'm here and I'm very excited because now Jericho has opened up to all the tour groups and our Jewish guides uh, can come into this city. And we're going to be doing some taping here in the city of Jericho in the actual old tell, the old Mount, Mount of Jericho where Joshua conquered centuries ago. In fact, let me take a moment and explain to you a little bit about the Jerichos that exist in this area. I said Jericho's plural. Not far from here, several miles over on your screen, it will be to the right of your screen, is what we call the old tell of Jericho. Now, the word tell is a mount. It's a hill where a city once existed. And that is the Jericho that Joshua conquered. It's right uh, not far from the Jordan River. However, several miles this way, directly behind me are a set, a set of ruins. And this was the palace of Herod. This is the Herod back in the Roman time or the Herod back in Christ's day. And this is the Jericho called the Roman Jericho, the Roman uh, city uh, back in the Roman period, I should say, that used to spread out all through this area. Now, a lot of it is still buried underground. Something significant in the New Testament happened here that I have to tell you about. And I'm going to be taking you to an ancient biblical story, a great biblical story about a man named Bartimaeus and show you a practical application for your life. It's very important that you remain uh, tuned. So he's going to take us to the story of blind Bartimaeus um, who lived in Jericho. And apparently there's a very practical application for your life. Huh. I'm already super skeptical. Best telecast today because this is one of those practical words that I was inspired to give you. In fact, in the hotel last night, we were at the resort. Notice he's saying that he was inspired to tell you this. In other words, he's blaming this message, well, just like Chuck Pierce and Patricia King, on God the Holy Spirit. 
the Dead Sea. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. How odd is that if you've read our material about 3 o'clock in the morning? And I felt the Holy Spirit stirring me up. So let's begin today with the subject of it's time to throw it off. It's time to throw it off. Okay. Time to throw it off right here at the old Roman ruins of Jericho. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 10. Now, when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude with with him, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Now, when they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Now, this is interesting because he's blind. Jesus is calling him, but somebody's going to have to take him to Jesus unless Jesus is two feet in front of him. Notice what he did. He throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Verse 50 on the garment is very significant. That's what we're going to concentrate on in just a moment. Now, so apparently blind Bartimaeus is garment was super de duper important okay jesus answered and said to him what do you want me to do for you well of course you know what the answer was the blind man said to him rabboni which is rabbi that i might receive my sight then jesus said to him go your way your faith has made you well and immediately he received his sight and followed jesus in the road now let's go back for a moment and talk about the city of jericho itself According to the Bible, the Jericho that Joshua conquered back in the time of the early Israelite conquest was cursed the day that Joshua conquered it. As a matter of fact, in Joshua chapter 6 and 26, Joshua gave a dynamic prophecy. He said, cursed is the man that rebuilds Jericho. When he begins to lay the foundation, his oldest son will die. And when he hangs the gate on the city, his youngest son will die. Now, that prophecy of the curse of Jericho actually came to pass hundreds of years later when in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1634, a man by the name of Hiel Hiel, began to rebuild the city of Jericho that had been cursed by Joshua. When he laid the foundation of the city, the Bible says his oldest son died. When he hung the gate of the city, his youngest son died. Now, when God begins to bless something, the blessing of God remains on it. But when God begins to curse something, the curse remains on it. This shows you the power of a curse uh, from the Old Testament concept of blessing and curses. Now, this Jericho is not the Jericho that was cursed. This is now, a di- you're thinking, what on earth does this blessing and cursing have to do with blind Bartimaeus? Well, keep listening. Jericho that was built in the time of the Roman period with bathhouses and and hippodromes and the palace of Herod and so many other things. But this is the city right directly behind me, or should I say the area, you can see the ruins in the background, of where a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus was by the highway side begging. Now let me share something with you about this man by the name of Bartimaeus. Bar Timaeus is not his actual name because Bar means son or son up. Yes, it does. Bar Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. 
And so Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Now, there is a discrepancy on what the actual word Timaeus means. Some of the old commentaries, you have Adam Clark, you have Matthew Henry, Henry, etc. Some of the old commentaries say that Timaeus means unclean. Others indicate that the name means someone who is blind, pulling it out of the Aramaic uh, words, someone that is blind. Now, there are those who teach, and listen, this is very, very possible, that Bartimaeus was the son of a blind man. Now, this is kind of important at this point. The text doesn't say anything. And I mean this, it doesn't say anything about uh, Bartimaeus's father being blind as well. And just simply by going, well, what does his name mean? That's not going to be sufficient at this point. Remember Barabbas? Yeah, Barabbas, son. And what does Abbas mean? The father. Yeah, Barabbas' name is son of the father. So, um, yeah, it, it, you know, but uh, yeah, we got, a, we got a big issue here. We got a, a big issue because now we're going beyond what's in the biblical text and kind of grasping at straws in order to make a, a, an important, well, application. And keep in mind that God the Holy Spirit is the one who told Perry Stone to apparently tell everybody this. In other words, that which was upon the father, that sickness and that affliction that was upon the father was actually handed down to his own son. Now, this tells me something because I call it the DNA factor. There is, there is a DNA in every human being uh, that we all have, that we get 26 chromosomes from our mother's side, 26 chromosomes from our father's side. We get our hair, hair color, the color of our eyes. Now, real quick, while he was talking about the so-called you know, DNA factor, which, again, is not taught in, in the Bible, I went ahead and... Uh, looked up to see if I could figure out what the uh, the word Timaeus means. Um, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, it, you know, uh, BDAG doesn't actually give an actual definition for the name Timaeus, but the closest word to Timaeus is uh, the verb Timao. And it means to set a price on, to estimate as a value, to show a high regard for, to honor or revere. If Timao is uh, related to the name Timaeus... Well, then maybe we can conclude that uh, Timaeus is, uh, you know, the, the father of blind Bartimaeus is a, a guy who had high regard and uh, honor. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just saying, you know, if you have a Greek lexicon, it helps a little bit here. And uh, but we continue of our lips, how tall we're going to be or how short we're going to be based on the DNA that is handed down from generation to generation. Now, there was some kind of DNA apparently in the father of Bartimaeus, who was Timaeus was his name, that it's handed down to his son. And as it's handed down to his son, he is... Yeah, no, the text doesn't say anything about that. I mean, Bar blind Bartimaeus's father is only mentioned due to the fact that it says that he's the son of Timaeus. We know nothing, absolutely zero about Timaeus. And, and now his son is blind. Let me ask you something. What has been handed down through your family DNA? What is there? <sighs> yeah. So, okay. So the, now, so this is the setup here. This is a, this is like not even a correct teaching at all. This is just total speculation. And now we're to the application point. What in your life has been handed down to you through your DNA? Well, let me give you uh, the biblical answer. It's sin, period. 
Um, you know, are you related to your parents? Well, your parents are related to their parents, and their parents are related to their parents, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we are born dead in trespasses and sins because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. So you get what I'm saying here. Um, so this is kind of so he's we got this dubious, and I'm just like calling a foul here, you know. This you know that somehow claim, claiming that blind Bartimaeus was blind because of something of regarding his father, it reminds me of the the passage I preached on this past Sunday, where the man who was born blind, people you know the disciples asked Jesus who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, and Jesus's answer in John chapter nine was neither. Uh, you know, this man was actually b- born blind in order that the works of God might be displayed in his life. That was the whole reason that Jesus gave for why that guy was blind. But see, the thing is, in that particular case, we know why he was blind because Jesus told us why he was blind. What Perry Stone is doing here is just making up, you know, theological applications out of thin air using nothing but total speculation your life that you recognize that was in your father's life, your mother's life, or one of your grandparents. Now, I'm not speaking here about physical appearance. I'm speaking here about spiritual weakness. I'm speaking here about moral character weaknesses. And somehow you realize that the very thing that you're battling right now is the very thing that someone else in your family battled. For example, habits and addictions can be handed down to the next generation from a previous generation. Alcoholism can be handed down from a previous generation to the next generation. If you've ever had an alcoholic in your family, you will... Oh, yeah, by the way, I I did a little bit of work while he's talking and spitting out his uh, speculative theology here. Did a little bit of work. Typed in, what does Timaeus mean? Timaeus, in Greek, means honor. It is a Greek word and thus suggests Bartimaeus is a Gentile, is uh, the idea here. He's a Gentile because his father has a Greek name of Timaeus, and Timaeus means honor. Thus, the Gentile son of honor is now a blind beggar outside the city, which is a winter home for the rich of Jerusalem. So, yeah, you know, just do a little bit of research here. And so this claim that, you know, the Timaeus means something, you know, bad. No, it actually means honor. And it is related to the uh, the verb form, tamao, which means to honor or to hold in high value and esteem. So, yeah, I, I went back and checked the Greek on this. He's not telling the truth. That if you have four or five children, there'll be three or four of them that despise alcohol. They wouldn't touch the stuff. But then there'll always be that one that has that DNA weakness in the family that will follow dad or mom or in some cases the grandparents in the DNA weakness that they suffered with themselves. So here we have a son who's just like his father. Now, one of the... Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, (laughs) Well, he's the son of a Gentile. That And I've got to make this very clear that one of the things that marked Bartimaeus in the scripture was when the Bible said that he had a garment on. Now, back in that day, you know, if you come to Israel today in some of the poor territories, you'll see children that will come up to you and they will ask for candy or money. Now, we're told on Holy Land tours, please be careful of giving them any kind of money. Candy's fine, but not money because they don't want to teach the children to become professional beggars. They want to teach them a trade, how to work, how to work in the field. But in this case, there were so many people that were begging that we had, they had to know, the city fathers or elders, 
had to make sure that the beggars were legitimate, that they weren't just people out there faking it to get money. So they provided a beggar's garment. Now, this garment may have actually come from uh, Bartimaeus's father, who may have passed away, and handed it down to his son. Now, think about yeah, the- yeah. Again, um, since you didn't get the uh, information about Timaeus right, like at all, um, and you're totally making up stuff. I, you know, I've never heard of the so-called beggar's garment. Not, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just sitting there thinking. Yeah, well, so he may have gotten this from his father. No, he actually, there's nothing in this text to indicate that. You're totally speculating. The things that are handed down that you deal with from your father and your mother, the things that they gave to you that you didn't even want. We're not speaking now of gifts. We're not speaking of clothes, but we're speaking of DNA weaknesses, chromosome weaknesses, difficulties that you're now struggling with. It can even be a spirit of sickness or spirit of infirmity that you're. So generally you're, you, you, you would be a totally sinless person you'd be a really holy saint if it weren't for the fact that you know you you inherited some specific thing from your parents well that's kind of right except for he's you know stop looking at your immediate parents and think of adam and eve you know death came into the world and, and all were made sinners because of adam scripture teaches us with. But now he is robed in this beggar's garment, but more than that, it's the garment for a blind man. Uh According to studies that I did many years ago, they marked blind men in that day and beggars to be legitimately blind and legitimate beggars with these special garments so that people knew this man is legit. He really is blind. So he he had a blind man's uniform. Could possibly be. I'm not saying that it's not true. It's just that This whole theology that he's spinning from this passage is not actually based on what the text says. It's based upon total speculation, and we've already found that some of his speculation is way off the mark. He's not trying to milk you for money. He's not trying to con you. He really has a very serious problem. Now, this is the part that intrigues me the most. Jesus did not pass by Jericho too many times. He spent a lot of his ministry way far from here in what's called the Upper Galilee. Now, he was tempted on the Mount of Temptation, which is directly in front of me here. In fact, let me walk over here. We can see it in the camera. Way up on the top of that hill is a monastery, and that is where the tradition says that Jesus came, of course, here in the Judean wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And so Jesus was here in, the, in, in that time frame. He was baptized in the Jordan River, which is directly on the right of your screen in front of me here, just a few miles. So Jesus was familiar with this area, yes. But as far as ministering here, he didn't minister, minister here that often. But as the multitudes are coming, now remember this, when a man is totally blind, the other senses of his body begin to intensify and become more sensitive. I'm told, for example, that people that are legally blind or actually born blind, that they're here Hearing is absolutely incredible. They will hear things that you can't hear. They will pick up on things that you can't pick up on. Now, there were always crowds coming into Jericho, and there was always dust stirring when the multitudes, as their sandals would crush against the dust of the earth. And Bartimaeus was used to that, but this crowd was different today. There was a buzz in the air. There was an atmospheric charge that Bartimaeus, though he were blind, could feel. And Bartimaeus is is there, and he says, there's something different about this crowd. There's more people here than normal. There's a stir. People are talking. And he asked someone, he said, 
What's the excitement about today? And the answer was this. There's a Nazarene by the name of Jesus who's passing by Jericho today. Now, you remember he's blind, but he can still hear. And all of a sudden, he remembers hearing these stories about how this Nazarene cured people and healed people. And all of a sudden, he begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about the phrase, Son of David. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the phrase, Son of David, is used when a Gentile called on Christ, and used when blind men called on Christ, and used when Christ was coming into the eastern gate riding the donkey, and the people were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. The reason it's important is because Jesus was called Jesus. He was called the Lord Jesus Christ. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth. But in this case, he's called Son of David. Here's what you have to understand. The phrase Son of David is an actual messianic term for the Messiah of Israel that would come in the future. Yeah, that's true. The word son of David is a term that goes all the way back to identify the real Messiah as the seed of David. That's right. In other words, uh, blind Bartimaeus sure does have some amazing spiritual insight. It's as if he's not blind and he knows who Jesus is. This out. Here's a man that's totally blind. He's born this way. He's never seen anything in his life. And his name indicates that he's the son of a Gentile named Timaeus. All of a sudden, he can hear in the spirit, and he has spiritual discernment to understand that the Messiah is passing by, that the King of glory is in his path, that he absolutely unequivocally has to, at this moment, at this time, cry out. And if he doesn't cry out now, this may be the last opportunity he will ever have to receive a miracle and to be healed. Okay, that that part, I'm, I'm with you there sudden he said, son of David, had mercy on me. And here's the point. When he knew that Jesus had called him to himself, when he knew the son of God had said, have that man come to me, here's what began to happen. Are you ready? He... I'm ready. Get ready because here comes the punchline to the joke that he's been telling aside his garment. At that moment, he took off of him the thing that identified him as a beggar. He took off of him the thing that identified him as a blind man. He took off of him the thing that had marked him from the very moment of his birth. And he said, I am not going to need this garment anymore. From this moment on, my life is about to be transformed. From this second forward, they're not going to call me a beggar, and they're not going to call me a blind man, and they're not going to attach to me what was attached to my past. I'm forgetting my past. I'm forgetting the DNA that was in my family lineage. I'm forgetting the thing that I was born with that that hindered me and marked me all of my life. And by casting aside his beggar garment, he absolutely at that moment sealed his destiny forever. Yeah, notice he sealed his destiny forever. It's as if Jesus, you know, just didn't do anything. All right, let me, so when they, when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Mark chapter 10, verse 47, he began to cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Great prayer for us too, by the way. And, you know, if you think about that, when we ask Christ to forgive us, we are praying, Son of David, have mercy on us. So they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, it may be 
Okay, now I see the thing is he's doing this all on speculation, right? So let me counter speculate. Maybe the reason he threw off his garment is because springing up, he needed to get to Jesus quickly and he felt his garment would be a hindrance. I mean, it's pretty tough to run in robes and stuff, you know? See, so all of this emphasis on the robe rather than on the Messiah healing power. And of course, you know the story how that Jesus brought healing to him and complete deliverance and Bartimaeus was miraculously healed he by was. the power of God. Now, having Yeah, that's right. He was healed by the power of God. Who gets all the glory? Jesus does. To you, there's four quick things that I want to tell you in the next few moments. And this ties into this story. And these are the notes that I wrote down in my Bible. Number one, you have to throw off what people think you are. Uh. Boy, that robe was so important. You got to throw off what people think you are. Because that's what the story of blind Bartimaeus is about and supposedly means. Good night. People always want to mold you. They want to tell you what they think about you. Sometimes they'll look at you and say, you're not smart. They'll look at you and say, you can't make it. They'll look at you and say, you know, based on your family lineage, I don't think you're able to do this. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to do like Bartimaeus and throw off that garment. And you've got to throw off what people think you are and start looking at yourself as what Christ says you are. Man. And the sad thing, I mean, I mean, this is a complete botching of God's word. I mean, just, I mean, it doesn't get any worse. Um, and the idea here is, is that, oh, we're going to find that one thing that the guy did so that we can give, you know, the, and so we can do the same thing. Yeah, that guy threw off his robe and that robe, I'm going to make it symbolize whatever it is I want it to symbolize and that and symbolize what people are calling you. You got to throw that off. Ugh, yeah, total twisting of God's word. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon from uh, Church by the Glades. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. We're going to take a look at the ecclesiastical model employed by much of American evangelicalism today, especially as put forward by the seeker-driven movement. Chris Rosebro talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. We're going to take a look at where this idea of a vision-casting leader comes from, what its main tenets are. And we're going to compare that so-called ecclesiastical office to the biblical office of pastor to see if the two are actually synonymous and interchangeable or if this concept of a vision-casting leader actually turns a pastor into a false prophet. 
you can meet and hear Chris Rosebro making the case against vision casting leaders in the church June 19th and 20th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Heading back down to Church by the Glades. And the plagiarist, Corey Castle. Yeah, we kind of plagiarized Perry Noble. But let's do this right. Hey, ho! All right, the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church by the Glades out there in South Florida. Corey Castle presiding. This is the man who plagiarized... A sermon from Harry Noble. And the name of the sermon we'll be listening to is entitled, You Gotta Throw It to Sew It. See if you can detect any kind of similarity in, in the Bible twisting that we've heard already today. That's all I need to say. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Corey Castle. And you gotta throw it to sew it. Here we go. That's right. How we feeling today, Church by the Glades? Good day to be in the house. Yeah. Turn your neighbor and say, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Encourage somebody. Yes. Turn your other neighbor and say, it's going to be a good day for you too. Nice. If you're new here, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors of Church by the Glades. It's my honor to be here with you this weekend. We are revving up for Easter 2X. Yes. Yes, we are. How many of you have been here for an Easter service before? Anybody ever been? How many of you, this is your first time with us this Easter? Yes! Can we give those people a hand? If you have no idea what you're in for, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. We're going to talk about that some more in a second. But if you are new here, you may not know that we are one church in many locations. There's a few campuses on the other side of that camera. So can we give a big rowdy round of applause for our roadies over at Sample Road? What's up, guys? We love you. And then our two newest campuses, if you're new, you probably want to visit them. You're like, oh, that would be cool. I want to see all four campuses. Well, to get to our two newest campuses, there's some prerequisites. We love our ladies down in Homestead and our men down at Dade CI. They are in prisons down in the Dade County area. We love you guys. In other words, uh, we need to pray for those prisoners because they're being fed false doctrine on Sunday morning via Church by the Glades. We have a special surprise for you guys next week. Just keep an eye out. And then we have everybody joining us online and television around the world. Grateful to be a part of that kind of church. And before we get started today, I just want to pray to get us started. And as soon as I said that, some of you did exactly what everybody does when we say, let's pray. What did they do? They went, right? <laughs> but I always want to acknowledge this. We are the type of church, 
um, that attracts people that have never been to church before. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really excited for that reason. That there, there's always somebody in every service that this may be your first time in church. And I had a conversation with a, a person on a plane a couple weeks ago that just reminded me of what it's like to not grow up in church or not to be in church for a while. Because they basically, they said, so what's the whole prayer thing about? And I was like, oh, that's a great question. So if you're here today and you hear people say, let's pray, maybe you've seen it in a movie or something like that. All prayer is, is us talking to God. That's all it is. It, it, it is us because Jesus died on the cross for us and sent his Holy Spirit. We now have a way to just directly to communicate to God. And anybody that said yes to Jesus can talk to their heavenly father just like they talk to an earthly father. It's really amazing. And I love it when people kind of pray for the first time. If you ever go on a mission trip with me, like when we take teams down to Nicaragua and Haiti or orphanages and stuff, I love it because I'll just force people to pray out loud in front of everybody. I'd be like, you, sir, you lead us in prayer. And everybody's like, what? I haven't prayed before for people. Like, it's fine. Just be like, I'm glad to be alive and I love you. Amen. Perfect. Done. It's as simple as that. And the reason when we say let's pray, people bow their heads. That, that, that's not nothing magical. That's just an outward expression of an inward feeling. It's, it's submission. It's saying I submit to you, God. It's respect. And it's also biblically a sign of pursuing God when we bow before him. And then we close our eyes, not because it's in the Bible, but we just close our eyes so we don't get distracted. It's a focus thing. You don't have to close your eyes when you pray. You can stare right at me. It'll be weird, but you can do it. (laughs) So all that being said, maybe it's your first time to do this with us, but let's start this service today by praying. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we are alive right now. That's amazing. No matter what's going on, we're just grateful to be alive. Like, we don't deserve that. We've all messed up a lot in life. And the fact that you let us live is insane. So we're just... Yeah, they're called sins. ...grateful for it, God. And we are grateful that we get to come here. Like, we have clothes on our backs. We're breathing right now. We have air conditioning. That's amazing. We have lights. We have cushy seats to sit in. God, we had cars to drive here in. We came on paved roads. Like, you spoil the mess out of us, God. And we are so grateful that you have orchestrated all of that to get us right here in this moment so that you can do something with us. So, God, we pray that you would open up our ears, hearts, and minds to do whatever you want to do. God, whatever distractions may be in our hearts and minds right now, we pray that they would be muted, that they would fade away, and we would be able to focus up on you. And God, as a result of your word and us coming together, we pray that we would all be changed. And we expect that in big ways. And everybody that agreed with that prayer said loudly, amen. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Good. Yeah, you can clap for prayer. That's awesome. So... Pastor David, our lead pastor, asked me to teach this weekend probably about like four weeks ago. And I love it when Pastor David gives me a lot of heads up. Because I don't know if you guys know, like teaching, anybody ever have to give like a 10 minute speech or something like that in a speech class? It's like terrifying. Like it, and like, it's like that, but like times four, cause it's like 30, 40 minutes and you got to do it like, you know, six times and eternities and the balance. <laughs> no. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jesus got that on lock. So he asked me to teach like four weeks ago and I love it when I get a few weeks to prepare because, you know, I just, it's just fun to like dig in on that level. So I started, you know, looking through scriptures. Hey God, what do you want to share with your people the weeks before Easter? Let's do this. And so I start flipping in scriptures and, and I land on a passage and man, I was stoked. I was like, this is it. God, I feel it. You really want, and I, and I started digging in and I started making my outline. I was ready like two weeks ago and I started ordering props. And, and then last week we had the honor and privilege of having a preaching machine, Pastor Darius Daniels in the house. Did y'all enjoy him? It was amazing. 
And he was such a machine, he preached like, you know, four different sermons throughout the weekend. The problem with that was he, he preached on the same scripture that I had been working on for three weeks in one of those sermons. And in that moment, I was awkward. Yeah, that's like when two ladies show up at a party wearing the same dress. Yeah, it's pastoral awkwardness here. Praise God. Like, we're both in tune with the Holy Spirit. Like, God wanted to share that message with us. So I was like, go, Pastor Darius. And at the same time, I was like, I hate you. Because, <laughs> no, not really, a little bit. And... Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? So God kind of like threw me a curveball last weekend. And it was cool because I have some amazing leaders here, like Pastor David, Pastor Raul, Pastor Fred, that were kind of like, stop whining. And they're like, get me in the Bible. Like, the, the Bible's full of scripture. Come on, bro. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so I like kind of dove back in, but it was, it was amazing. Yeah, the, the Bible's full of scripture. <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if I have the patience to get through this today. Like, because whenever, you know, Life throws you a curveball. It's always anybody ever play baseball or watch baseball before? You know, like when when a curveball comes at a batter. If you've ever if you've ever been up to bat at a curveball, what most people do if you see a curveball for the first time, what do they do? They bail out, right? Because it looks like it's going to hit you. But but what you're supposed to do as a batter when a curveball comes is you're supposed to lean in. You're, You're supposed to press in, and then you watch the rotation of that ball, and as it breaks, it enables you to put it in play. And so I thought about that. I was like, okay, God, you're throwing me a curveball here. So as opposed to bail, I'm going to press in because I think you got something up your sleeve. Whenever God throws you a curveball, it's always because he's got something big up his sleeve. Okay. And so I. All right. So notice, kind of like everybody that we've heard today, um, everybody today is claiming that they've received their messages directly from God. Yeah, Patricia King, obviously Chuck Pierce and the people over at the uh, Glory of Zion on Prophecy Open Mic. And then, of course, Perry Stone claimed that God, the Holy Spirit, told us the tell him, you know, told him to tell us the message he told. So here, that's what Corey Castle's doing right here. All of this uh, introduction is to let us know that this is exactly what God wants us to hear. Uh huh. And immediately he puts a passage of scripture on my heart. And usually when something comes on my heart like that fast, I'm like, no, that's like indigestion. That, that can't be you, Lord. But it wouldn't leave my head. Like I just kept going back to this passage of Scripture, kept going back to it. And I always have like sometimes... Some so we're going to test to see if God really told him to tell us this because, uh, well, you know, I clearly do not believe that God the Holy Spirit wants us to have the donkey annoying. <laughs> Nor do I believe that uh, blind Bartimaeus's cloak being cast off is for us to cast off whatever DNA curses we have received uh, from our parents. <laughs> so I'm skeptical that this message that uh, Corey Castle claims God told him to tell us actually is coming from God. He's in my office because it's an old bad habit from playing sports. I used to choose sunflower seeds when I was falling asleep and stuff. And so I had sunflower seeds and I went and got one of these seeds and I looked at it. Because I was thinking about this passage in Matthew chapter 13. And I looked at this seed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Beware of people giving you interpretations of Matthew chapter 13 and the parables in it that are different than Jesus' interpretation of those parables. Without even getting to the text, I mean, already we've got a problem. And that is this. I cannot tell you how many sermons I've heard from pastors 
who have given us different interpretations than the interpretation Jesus gave. Keep in mind in Matthew chapter 13 in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 13, that's where Jesus changes up his game a little bit. He no longer speaks openly. He begins speaking in parables. And this is due to the fact that things are getting pretty intense. He's starting to get pushback and persecution. And so he switches his game and begins preaching in parables so that people would be hearing but not perceiving, you know, seeing but not understanding kind of thing. That's the reason why Jesus spoke in parables. And so in Matthew 13, we have a couple of parables, and each time the disciples are like scratching their heads going, I I don't get it. And so they have to ask Jesus to explain the parables. And um, mm, yeah, so you got to be real careful because you don't want to supersede Jesus's interpretation because Jesus's interpretation of his own parables that's the interpretation. And that's like, period. You, you get what I'm saying? We continue. So I looked at it. I read this passage. And I want us to focus in on what this passage says today. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3. Verses 1 and 2 are real simple. Jesus says it was, he was in a house. And then he walked out of the house in the morning. And there was a bunch of people. So he started to teach them. But because he was such a good teacher and so magnetic... All these people started coming. They started crowding around him. And then he got pressed up against the shoreline. And he wanted to make sure everybody could hear him. So he got in a boat and he paddled out into the boat by himself. Side note here. You know water is like one of the best amplification like uh, mediums for sound waves? And it's funny. Science didn't discover that until a few hundred years ago. But Jesus is a genius. And he knew that like 2,000 years ago. Isn't it cool that we worship and serve like the smartest man that ever lived? Could it have something to do with the fact he created water? This is literally a genius. I don't know if you've read the Bible, but it's like full of it. So he like, he steps in the water. Yeah, no, it's, he's more than a genius. He's the guy who like invented water. <laughs> he's the creator of it. Everybody can hear him. So verses one and two is that. And in verse three, it picks up. He says, what do you make of this? A farmer planted a seed. As he scattered the seed, everybody say seed. Uh oh, he's reading from the message paraphrase. The seed, some of it fell on the road, and the birds ate it. So it fell on the gravel, it sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell on the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. But some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond the farmer's wildest dreams. Are you listening? Really listening? So Jesus ends this parable by saying, hey, do you hear me? Now, again, if, it, if it's your first time kind of reading the Bible with us. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> let, let me read this from the ESV because uh, there's more going on. Jesus is not saying, hey, did you hear me? That's not what's going on. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, English Standard Version, which is a good modern translation. Here's what it says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat, sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. Birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Yeah. He who has ears, let him hear. 
And now let's keep reading. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given. He who has an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and then I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So I think when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, that's a direct reference to Isaiah's prophecy, which he then explains to the disciples. Now, we haven't given you the interpretation of the parable. Let's see what Corey Castle is doing again. Parable is a made-up story, straight fiction. Like Jesus would just make up stories in order to teach principles. A parable always has a predominant principle that it's trying to get across. Most yeah, spiritual truth regarding the kingdom of heaven, yeah. Most convey one main principle. Some have a few underlying principles. And Jesus, in this parable, it's so cool because the disciples, after he teaches this parable, they're walking away with Jesus and they're like, yo, why are you always talking in these parables? People don't understand you. And then Jesus is really... No, actually, that was the first time he spoke in a parable. That was a new thing that Jesus did in Matthew 13. For homework, go read Matthew chapter 13 because he basically says, look, some people are going to get it, some people aren't. But so that you get it, I'm going to explain it to you. And this is one of the few parables that he breaks down word for word on what it means. And quickly to summarize, the first three things he says, he says he scattered the seed. Everybody say seed. Now, the seed in this parable represents the gospel. It represents the good news of Jesus Christ. It represents your God destiny. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> let's take a... <sighs> Corey, if you're going to give us Jesus' interpretation, read what Jesus said about it. Because you're, you're already, like, making allusions to it, but not actually paying attention to the details. Matthew thirteen eighteen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word, understand it, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. Okay, so we got a problem here. Um, Jesus' interpretation is different than Corey Castle's interpretation of Jesus' interpretation. In other words, we got a reading comprehension problem here.
represents that future, that thing he wants for you, the salvation he has for you in him and believing in you. The, the seed is the good news, the most powerful thing in the universe. That is the seed. And he says, the seed, some of it fell on the road and the birds ate it. Now, each one of these surfaces that the seed falls on, Jesus says they represent us. They represent people. They represent the four different ways we can receive God's word, the seed. He said the first seed fell on the road and the birds ate it. That's bad, right? No fruit produced, no harvest. So he's saying the road represents a hard surface. It represents people that come into church or hear the word of God from a prideful spirit. They're hard. They reject it. And because they're hard and they don't receive it out of their pride, it says the birds, which represents the enemy, come and snatch it away. No fruit. Yeah, Jesus didn't say anything about pride. <sighs> End up being a bad situation. Next seed says it falls on the gravel. The gravel is a little soft, so the seed can go down. It takes a little bit of root, and then it shoots up real fast. And Jesus says this represents what we like to call like front runners, people that say like. I love Jesus, right? Like they get saved, like, yeah. Or they say they get saved, like, I love Jesus. This music is awesome. And then they'll maybe even go get baptized. And they're like, yeah. And then a month later, they're like, Jesus who? You know what I'm talking about? You know those people? They're like, let's go, Jesus. And then like six months later, they're like, church is hard. I don't know. Like Sunday stuff. I don't go to the beach. Right? Like it's people that it's all about emotion. And he's saying those people are shallow. Well, again, Jesus said, let's see here. As for the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises, you see, you're describing the worldly person, you know, but see the, 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 see the soil you're on right now. That's not the worldly person. That's the person who falls away because of tribulation. Yeah, it, it's, you know, listen, writing a sermon is kind of like taking an open book test. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this when you were in, in high school and if your teacher ever gave you an open book test, those are like the easiest, <laughs> you know, it's like, cause all the answers are right there in the book and you can keep the book open and find all the answers. You know, you just got to pay attention. <sighs> Says their roots don't go far down, so they spring up fast, but then the sun kills them. The sun represents the worries of the world. They, they just get distracted and it's done. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's failing an open book test. And then he said, the third type of seed, the third type of seed falls among the weeds, takes root, comes up, but the weeds are the thorns, like some translations say, it chokes it out. And he said, the thorns and the weeds represent our fleshly desires. It's when people get too caught up in getting rich or, or getting that relationship or being successful in that job. And they get too caught up in these desires and it just kind of, okay. And it chokes out the faith in them. And he says, those people don't make it either. And he says, but some seed falls on good soil. Everybody say good soil. And he says, and this is what I want to key in on today. He says, the seed that falls in good soil produces a harvest for the farmer beyond his wildest dreams. In some translations, it says 10 to 20 to 30 to 100 times his original crop. That tells us that there is power in the seed. There is power. In, everybody say power. There is power in the seed. You ever hear that old saying, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. That went like over some of you. Ask somebody later. You'll get it. It's because you have no idea 
the harvest one seed can produce. You have no idea the power found in a seed. And so what I want to talk about for the next few moments is how do we tap in to that kind of power? Uh, oh boy, I'm nervous now. How, how do we unleash the potential in a seed? How do we unleash the power of a seed in our lives? How do we get a harvest beyond our wildest dreams in our lives? How do we get that? Go- Whoa, how do we get a harvest beyond our wildest dreams? Oh no. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he's mixing metaphors badly. Destiny to take shape in our lives. And so I started thinking about this seed thing, a seed. And I started studying what it means to to work with a seed. I mean, I grew up in the South, like not South Florida. I mean, the real South, like Northwest Florida, like on up there. And I went to high school across the street from like a farm. Like I really did. Now, I was never a farmer myself, not you know, super agricultural, but I saw farmers and my mom used to have a garden when we were little, she'd grow like tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff. I think we ate them. I don't remember, but I saw them grow. And so I, I remember some stuff from my childhood and then I did some research and, and suffice it to say a seed goes through four main stages in the hands of a farmer and in, in the hands of a sower. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to exegete the seed. Main stages, and I don't mean to oversimplify. Do I have any farmers in the house? Yeah, that's what I thought. South Florida. Okay, good. No one to fact check me. Ha <laughs> ha. So, no, but. Yeah, practically half the congregation I serve, they're made up of farmers. So, a seed goes through four main stages. You got to sow it, water it, reap, and repeat. Sow, water, reap, repeat. Sow, water, reap, repeat. So, all right. Everybody say so. so. Turn your neighbor said he said so. I'm just kidding. That's just a play on words. Cheesy pastor joke. Sorry. So, so the first thing the seed has to do is it has to be sown. It, it has to be put in the ground. The seed has to be sown. Now this is going to be profound. This is going to blow some of you guys away. You ready for this? Say so. so. In order to sow a seed, this is deep. You ready? The seed must... Leave your hand. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's all you got, huh? <laughs> wow. Some of you are like, next? <laughs> Duh. Right? No, no, no. Think about this. In order to sow, the seed must leave your hand. In other words, you got to throw it to sow it. You got to throw it to sow it. The seed has got to leave your hand. It says he scattered the seed. You got to throw it to sow it. Everybody say throw it. But this, this is what I mean. I know that sounds simple, but so often in life, we want to produce a harvest. We want to see big God things in our marriage. We want to see big God things in our neighborhood. We want to see big God things in our school. We want to see big God things in our career. And we want, the, we want to reap the harvest, but we never sow the seed. We, we, ne- we never throw the seed. It's like this. I, it's, it's, it's the common principle of in, investing, right? Like I remember back my senior year of college, first time ever, I was like, I'm going to invest like stock market style. You know what I'm talking about? I was like, I'm going to make millions. Here we go. Time to go. And and I'd saved up money. I'd saved up like $2,000. Like, so I was banking, right? Don't laugh. That was a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. Don't laugh. So $2,000. So I was like, I'm going to invest $1,000. So I'm watching these two stocks. And I remember I kind of like honed in on one stock and, and at its height, it was $77. But my senior year of college was like the bottom of our economic crash. 
in this last like decade. You know what I'm talking about? Like how bad it got. And so the $77 stock now costs 88 cents. Mm, right. And I was like, well, it's either going to go bankrupt or I'm going to make some money. And I did some research, looked like the company was going to stay afloat. So I was like, all right, this is a good company to invest in. So I logged on to Scott trade. Remember Scott trade? I was like, here we go. Do it on myself. I don't need a broker. And so I log on. And I remember I fill out all the information. I was like, one, zero, zero, zero. I went to hit enter. I was like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right. It's a thousand dollars. I don't lose it. What if it keeps going down? I come back a week later. It had gone up to a dollar and one cents. I was like, no, that was like $300 I lost out on, right? So I was like, no, okay, I'm going to do it. So I fill it out, one, zero, zero, zero. I do this, cost a dollar one cents now. Here we go. <sighs> no, what if it goes back down to 88 cents, right? Then we'll lose money. I was like, I can't do this. So I held off. A week later, I come back, dollar 12. What? That's $500 I lost out on because I was a coward and I didn't have courage to throw the seed. And I was like, come on. And so finally I fill it out, put in the information. Once you hit enter dollar 12, here we go next week down to a dollar. No, but in like six months, it got up to like two forty. cash that junk out, doubled my money. Yeah. I'm a genius. No, I'm not. Cause it's like $38 now. I'm an idiot. But the point The point of the story is you got to throw it to sow it. The seed has to leave your hand, right? This is a biblical principle found all throughout the Bible. This agricultural metaphor. I mean, it's a biblical. We're talking about the word of God. So the idea, the way we would throw the seed then would be to, you know, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins, call sinners to repent and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. Is this not what Jesus is talking about? Let me reread this. Okay, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom uh-huh, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. Uh-huh. What is the word of the kingdom? The preaching of Christ and him crucified. All the way back in Genesis, God looks at Adam and Eve and says, Hey, Adam and Eve, I want you guys to be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful. This idea of a harvest, this idea of sowing seed and then sending the seed. He says, be fruitful with your kids. You are to sow your kids into the world. You are to sow. The Bible says in... (laughs) Sow my kids into the world. (laughs) Oh, this is painful. 127 verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What is an arrow supposed to do in the hand of a warrior? Be shot, right? An arrow's not supposed to stay in the quiver. An arrow's supposed to be shot. And so the Bible teaches us that even our kids are like seeds to be thrown into the world. And an arrow is an offensive weapon. An arrow is an offensive weapon. <laughs> Oh, this is not a cross-reference for this text. So apparently arrows equal seeds. I, I had no idea. Our kids, like, we are to be shot out into the world to take ground for the kingdom of God. I remember how this played out in my life. When I turned 18, my birthday's in October, I turned 18, uh, my senior year of high school, and I remember my dad kind of sat me down, and long story short, he kind of said, so what's your plan? Like, uh, graduate high school. And he was like, yeah, you know, you're an adult now. I mean, we considered you an adult since you were 14, but now the law says you're an adult. So legally, we ain't got to deal with you. So what's your plan after you graduate? In other words, my dad was saying, hey, me and your mom, we've been sharpening you and strengthening you and pulling that bow back for 18 years. And you better be dang sure we're about to release you into the world. 
And what exactly does this have to do with Jesus's parable again? But it was good. It was so good. I was like, well, I'll start college in June. He was like, all right, we'll give you another month. No, um, it wasn't that harsh, kind of. Um, but that was my, my, that was my dad's way of saying, Hey, look, Corey, you're, you're to be sown into the world and to, and to sow it. We got to throw it. We, we got to, we got to put it out there. It's the same way when it comes to sharing our faith that, that yeah, sharing our faith would be a lot closer to what Jesus is talking about here. Word evangelism, just a fancy word yeah. for telling people about Jesus. Yeah. Which would be what this parable is actually referring to. Now we're in the right neighborhood. Oftentimes we want to reap a harvest of our neighbors and our family coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the problem is, is we never throw the words out there. We want to see the harvest. We want to see people come to Jesus, but we never, we never throw it. It's simply like these invites for Easter, right? We want to see a huge harvest. We want to reap a huge harvest for the kingdom of God in the next two weeks for Easter. But what happens also? And now for the plug for their upcoming Easter services in the middle of the sermon. What, what is with the seeker-driven guys using sermon time for plugs for things? Plugs for products, plugs for music CDs, plugs for the next week's sermon. It's so easy, right? You got to throw it to sow it. We're like, <laughs> right? No. If we want to see a huge harvest for Easter, it's a simple. The first process is sow it. Everybody say, sow it. But to sow it, you got to throw it. Say, throw it. So you just throw it. Just throw it. Like, just get them out there. If you throw it, it'll be sown. But we'll get to that in a second. So everybody say, sow. But the second part to sowing that I've noticed, too, is to an untrained eye, sowing is a particular practice. Because when you sow a seed, if you care about where you're sowing it, especially, like, think of it when it comes to evangelism, what you'll do is, you know, you'll dig a little bit. You'll soften up the soil, you'll toil the soil a little bit and dig a little hole and you'll put the seed in and you'll cover it. Same thing when it comes to evangelism. If you care about where you're sowing it, maybe you'll toil the soil of their soul a little by serving them and encouraging them and loving on them and showing them Jesus before you tell them about Jesus. So that's how you take hard soil and turn it into good soil. You see, love on them. That's how you toil the soil. Why didn't Jesus say that then, huh? And so, like, and when you do that, you dig the little hole, and then you, you drop the seed in, and then you cover it. That's really peculiar, because to the untrained eye, there is no difference between planting and burying. Right? No difference, planting or burying. It looks exactly the same. Here's the difference. You bury something that is dead. You plant something that has potential. Oh, man. You bury something that is dead and you plant something that has potential. And this is how that takes shape in our lives. All too often, we feel like we are getting buried at a dead end job. Uh, what? <laughs> so now we're talking about buried at a dead end job because you talked about, oh, man. Oh, this is painful. We feel like we are being buried in a relationship that feels like it's dying. We feel like we are being buried in a family dynamic. We feel like we are being buried in a We feel like we are being buried in a health issue. And oftentimes when you feel like you're being buried, you feel like it's going to die and you want to give up. But I came here to tell somebody today that though you feel like you're being buried, there's a huge difference between being buried and being planted because you are not dead. And God is... Oh, man, this is awful. You know, it makes me wonder if this guy has the donkey anointing.
Yeah, I, I, I think he does. I, yeah, yeah, clearly. Burying you, he is planting you because you have more potential than you think. That marriage has more potential than you think. That career has more potential. And if you will stay in it and stay planted and stay faithful, your roots can go down and you can rise up. Everybody say so. So the first thing we got to do is so, and then it says, you know, so water reap repeat. And you see this all throughout the Bible. First Corinthians chapter three, Paul's dealing with the church of Corinth and he plants this church. He sows the seed of faith there. Some people come to Jesus. He's discipling them. And then he goes away and the new cat comes on the scene. His name's Apollos. And the church of Corinth freaks out about Apollos because they're like, dude, this guy speaks with like a really lofty vocabulary. He's super smart, Paul. Why didn't you teach us like this? He's using big words. And uh, where is there a conflict between Paul and Apollos? Paul writes him. He basically says, stop freaking out. Because some people are saying, I want to follow Paul. And some people are saying, I want to follow Apollos. And uh, then, man. says, whoa. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I, Paul, planted the seed. And Apollo is just watering the seed. Because the life cycle of the seed is you first got to sow it and then water it. Everybody say water. Now I remember... Y'all remember back in elementary school. You going to read the rest of that verse where it says, but God gave the increase. I don't know if they do it anymore. But we would do those little science experiments. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember one time, it was like third or fourth grade. The teacher gave us a seed and a little Ziploc bag. Y'all remember that? They still do that? Yes. Okay, good. Seed, Ziploc bag. You put a seed in a Ziploc bag, what would happen? Nothing, right? Just stare at it. Just see then the teacher would say, go get a paper towel, soak the paper towel in what? Water. Water the paper towel. Put the paper towel in the Ziploc bag, put the seed on the wet, watered paper towel, and you put it in the Ziploc bag. I'd be like, okay, what's going to happen? Nothing, right? Because it takes time when something's being planted. It takes time. Have patience. But you come back to school the next day, whoa, right? All of a sudden that seed would be broken open. Busted, shattered. There's like this little root coming out. Oh my gosh. Like water works. Water. What? It's the same in the seed of salvation in the soil of your soul. It must be watered. It must be watered. So how does God water the seed of salvation in the soil of our souls? Well, one of the main ways he waters it is through ministry. By ministering to you. Like when you come to church and you hear the spell. How many of you have ever come to church and it feels like Pastor David is speaking directly to you? It's like he was reading your text messages from the week before. Like, I don't know if he's stalking me or what, but this is weird. Right? That means God is watering that seed of salvation in your soul. He, he, he is pouring that water on through his spoken word, through ministry. Some of you go, man, I've never, I've never felt that. It's because we can't water a seed that's not there. It may mean you need to toil the soil of your soul a little bit and say yes to the seed of salvation and get it in there. Oh, this is, and it's Pelagian to boot. All of a sudden you'll start to feel that refreshing water on you. One of the main ways God waters is through ministry. Another way he ministers and waters to our soul is through serving. Everybody say serving. Man, this is so, so clear in the Bible. In John chapter four, just one example of it with Jesus himself. Jesus, in the middle of the day, he's thirsty. He walks up to a well. There's a woman at the well. The first thing he says to this woman, he says, hey, Will you serve me some water? Will you serve me some water? And at the end of the conversation, he tells the woman, I will give you living water and you will thirst no more. 
She says, I want this water. In other words, when you serve God, when you serve Jesus, when you serve the local church, when you serve your neighbor, when you serve your family members in the name of Jesus, he uses that process to water the seed in your soul. Yeah, Jesus didn't say anything to the woman at the well in Samaria about serving in church. In order for it to bust open and take root. So there's ministry, there's serving. Another way God waters the seed of our soul is through obedience. Everybody say obedience. (laughs) Well, he's being disobedient by twisting God's word. Not exactly a good example of obedience now, is he? Always quiet. You ask people to say, there's two words, obedience and tithing. Never ask people to say that in church. Don't worry, we're not going that direction. It's not that kind of seed message. Y'all laugh because you've heard that before, right? (laughs) Obedience. When we obey, when we place ourselves under spiritual authority and and we say yes, like even when it's like, hey, I don't know if I am clear on this or I don't know if I even necessarily always agree with this or if I'm, but but I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to obey. What it does is it starts to to agitate the the shell of that seed and enables you to bust out a little bit and grow a little bit. And isn't it funny that when you first receive the seed of salvation, What's, Where is he getting this? Because this isn't in Jesus' parable at all or in the explanation that Jesus gave. First act of obedience Jesus tells us to do. He says, go get in some water. Be baptized. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's called the seed of salvation and he asks us to get watered, right? Now, I know it's metaphorical. There's no actually root going to like sprout out of you. Any of you new to church, it's not going to happen. But, but it's an outward symbol that we are watering the seed of our soul by obeying Jesus. And just that first, some of you are going, man, I've never experienced this growth you're talking about. I've never seen a harvest in my life in the, in the God kind of kingdom way. Maybe it's because you haven't taken that first step of watering the seed of your soul and getting baptized. Your, your action item is super simple. Hey, on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be baptizing right now. I think we have over 300 people signed up. Yeah, that's amazing, by the way. Now it's going to be 301. You're going to sign up. You're going to go out. We're going to have, have hundreds of people out there. It's going to be an amazing experience. And what a better time to get baptized. But you're going to start that process of obedience and watch God pour that water on your soul. But one thing I want to point out about water. So notice baptism is all about obedience. But all of the text about baptism talk about what God's doing for us in it. Is when you think about that little seed. When I came in the next day, the first thing I noticed as an elementary student was the water caused dramatic transformation in the seed. But it was very traumatic to the seed. The seed had to break first. Oftentimes, God uses trauma to water the seed of salvation in our souls. The Bible talks about in the New Testament that we go through trials and temptations and tribulation. The big fancy biblical word for it is sanctification. But it's this process by which you come up against a challenge. You come up against an illness, an issue in your family, a career. You come up against some type of wall. And you got to 
bust through it. You got, you got to break out of it. And sometimes it breaks you a little bit, but that's God's way of sanctifying you, of, of rubbing off those rough edges. And it's that it's his way of busting you out of that comfort zone that you had in your tiny little seed. But the problem is if you stay in your comfort zone, if you stay in your tiny little seed, you will never reap a harvest. You will never produce a harvest. So the first thing that happens usually is there's some breaking that has to happen. Where are you getting any of this? None of this is in Jesus's parable. You're like overcooked it and you're like going to the wrong cross references. You're sticking theology in here that isn't in this text and you're totally missing the whole point. When you, when you sow the seed and it goes down, you start to water the seed. But when you water the seed and it breaks, what's the first direction the seed must go? Down. The roots have to go down. Before it can ever rise up. And check this. The further the roots go down, the higher the tree will rise. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly the way I feel about it. Right? B- because often in life, when we say yes to Jesus, things feel like they get a little worse before they get better. Those trials and tribulations come, and it's no surprise that you have to go down before God can raise you up. The Bible says he humbles those he wants to exalt. And I just wanted to to encourage somebody today, because some of you feel that today. Some of you came in here, and we're all psyched up, and we're excited for Easter. It's going to be amazing. But some of you came in here today, and it feels like things are just going down feels like things are just getting worse. You're trying to remember that you're planted in that marriage, but it feels like that marriage is just getting worse. That that career is just getting, like, it feels like things just keep going down. And, and, and sometimes, yeah, so if things are going down in your life, that means your, your roots are going down so that your tree can go higher. Man, what a mess. You wish somebody was there to water you, don't you? Like, I know there's times in my life, like at the end of the day, sitting in my bed, I just wish somebody was there to water me. Like, I wish somebody was there to minister. I like, you know, those times when you feel like I'm watering everybody else. Like I keep serving my kids and serving my husband and serving my boss. And I keep trying to obey what they're, I feel like I'm watering everybody else. Will somebody please just water me? You ever feel like that? So much so, so much so there are times Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I have a feeling it's not. There are times when, like, it's so alone and so dark and there's so much pressure. Because it feels like it just keeps going further and further down. That you, you got nothing left to do but just cry. Like, maybe it's just that single tear at night just because somebody just watered me. Come on, God. <laughs> oh, man. We are so far away from what this text says and what Jesus said it meant start rising up and some of you I know you know what it feels like to just cry yourself asleep at night no matter what campus or environment you're watching in but I wanted to encourage you today the Bible speaks to you too in Psalms in Psalms 126 David writes for those who sow in tears He says, sometimes you will sow and it will be so dark and so hard. There will be nothing left to do but cry tears. 
It's as if he went into his Bible computer program and typed in the word sow and found all the words, where, all the places where sowing is mentioned and just decided to just pour them all into this one sermon. It doesn't work that way. But what you didn't know is that when it felt like nobody else was watering you, your very tears are watering the seed of your soul. Because that same exact verse says, for those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Shall reap with shouts of joy. This is what I mean. The tools for sowing, if I had any farmers here, they would testify to this. The tools for sowing are different than the tools for reaping. The tools for sowing, you got to get the shovel out, the pickaxe. The tools for sowing are hard work. The tools for sowing. Yeah, he he left Jesus's explanation of the parable long ago. We're like like decades away from it now. Tension and stress and trauma on you. The tools for you got to dig down to sow. Sowing is hard. Sowing sometimes takes tears, but reaping. The tools are entirely reaping the tools are shouts of joy and rejoicing and gladness and happiness. We rejoice when we reap a harvest. It is so water reap repeats. Everybody say reap. And as the band starts to play, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Cue sappy music. The sappy music is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience. In other words, the people playing the sappy music, they're not only manipulating people, they're manipulating God. Because I, I, I thought about this passage, Matthew chapter 13. Um, and, it, and I remember back when I read it a few years ago, because it's also found in Luke chapter 8. And... Um, in Luke chapter 8, I studied it a few, a few years ago. And I remember when I read this passage, I like to write in my Bible so I remember it. And I'm really candid with God. So y'all have to excuse my language here. But I wrote next to Luke chapter 8 in the parable of the sower. And I think I have a picture of it if y'all want to throw it up there. Yeah. Again, excuse, I wrote, that's a crappy farmer. Not a very good sower. Right? Cause- yeah, because he just like throwed through the road he threw the word of god like everywhere Think about that passage it said the farmer took the seed and he was scattering seed and some fell on the ground some fell in the weeds some fell on the road and some fell on good soil i like dude care a little bit more about your seed right he's just meh, 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 meh. that's what i pictured in my head and then I thought about it. I was like, man, that's kind of messed up. But then I thought, wait a second, there's something there. Because I went back to that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, hey, Corinth, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Okay, okay. Good, you finally got to it. So what Paul's saying and what the Bible's saying there is we are responsible for the sowing and the watering. We, we got to sow it and, and throw it and soak it in water. We got to sow it and water it. And what he's saying there. Please tell me we're talking about the gospel and preaching the word of God. Is don't be so concerned with the growth. 
It's like this. A lot of times churches get all caught up in, we want to grow. We as a church want to grow. Oh, we as church by the glades, we want to grow. You know what? We're not too concerned with growing. You know why? Because if you sow a seed in good soil and you water that seed, that seed will be a healthy seed. And you don't got to make something that's healthy grow because naturally healthy things grow. Church by the Glades, we are not a perfect church, but God has blessed us to be a healthy church. And healthy things grow as long as you keep sowing and throwing and soaking. So when do you actually, you know, sow the seed of the gospel? You haven't preached the gospel yet. You haven't preached the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, I've heard nothing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and trust in Christ. Watering. And so I thought about it. When it comes to this Easter, when it comes to this Easter, like you got to throw it to sow it, right? Well, we want to reap a harvest beyond our wildest dreams this Easter. We want to see God do something he's never done before this Easter. That's why we're doing this whole two weekends of Easter. Some of you are like, I don't like that. I want to go to Easter on Easter Sunday. That just ain't right. Right? Here's why we're doing that. Just in case you didn't catch it. Do you guys realize that in Easter last year, we had about 18,000 people show up? That was last year. Check this. Yeah, that's not something to rejoice about because they're hearing twisted words. We have grown significantly because we're a healthy church since last year, like by the thousands since last year. We no longer, like 18,000 can't fit in the horseshoe in the BB&T Center. And so we were like, okay, we'll do it in the round. We can't fit this year in the BB&T Center. That's how much God is growing this church. Isn't that amazing? And so we're... Yeah, because that's what Jesus' parable of the soils is all about. Okay. What are our options, right? How do we do this? How do we pull this off? Because if we don't do something, we will be turning away thousands of people that need the seed of salvation soil in the soil of their souls. Like we don't want to turn them away. So what do we do? Well, we we know we're going to keep sowing the seed and we know we want to keep watering it. So why don't we provide our people with an opportunity to water the seed in their souls and serve a little bit and say, okay, I will serve by sitting in my seat the week before. And then next week I'm going to give up my seat. So this is an infomercial, you know, for preparing them for the Easter service. Yeah, because that's what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the soils. New soul to sit in that seat and get the seed planted and so they can have salvation. Amen. And this is just cool too. Like the resurrection of Jesus Christ is worthy to be celebrated more than one weekend. Can I get an amen? Right? And oh, this is where it gets cool. And Easter, we do not celebrate a dead man that was buried. We celebrate a king that planted a kingdom. Because nothing has more potential than Jesus Christ. Nothing has more potential than Jesus. See, Jesus was sown a seed and he, oh boy. Funny enough, that actually kind of works biblically, but man, this is a messed up sermon. What was the point of him reading the parable again? And then, because uh, when he got to the interpretation of Jesus' interpretation, he, he couldn't get those details right. And then he just went off on his own. Oy. Like the sower in this story, this week and next week, you got to throw it to sow it. 
I don't care if they say, you got it. I don't care if it's hard ground. You want an invite? Yes. Good. You want an invite? No. Take it anyway. You want an invite? Yes. Here we go. I don't care if you're gravel. I don't care if you're soil. I don't care if you're hard ground. You got to throw it to sow it because when you sow it and throw it, we can water it by serving our community. And as we serve and so throw it to sow, it means giving people an invite to go to the Easter extravaganza at Church by the Glades. And we keep sowing it and throwing it. We will reap a harvest. And then guess what we're going to do after that harvest is reaped? We will reap a harvest? Repeat. We're going to do it as many times as we can until God calls us home. So now we can have a big church, but so we can have a huge heaven. That's the call this week. Father God, thank you. Okay, done. Done. Yeah, wow. So you get the point. That was just a total mess. Um, he couldn't even get any of the exegetical points correct and just went off on his own. That's not how you're supposed to preach the word. You need to make sure that you preach the meaning of the text. And that's not what that text meant at all. Oh, boy. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>